0: Well, welcome back and happy Wednesday, October 28th, 2020, less than a week before our election. A few things still amaze and surprise. First, throughout the campaign, Joe Biden said he decided to get into this race when Donald Trump praised white supremacists. This would be the press conference where Donald Trump said, quote, We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry and violence, close quote. This would be the same press conference where Donald Trump said, quote, I'm not talking about the neo Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally, close quote. Not one reporter in this campaign, not one, has asked Joe Biden about his deciding to enter the race based on a slander, a myth, a lie. Second, it is amazing to me the press corps, every chance it had in one on one interviews with Donald Trump, kept asking if he would denounce white supremacists, though he clearly had done it at least 10 times before we've played the audio. The press corps knows he did. And using and promoting and covering Donald Trump as they have for years before he ran for president, they knew, too, they were not using and promoting and covering a racist or a bigot. And they knew also, he did not a sudden become one when he became president. What they do think is that all republicans are racists and bigots. They've been trying to hang that slander on our neck for decades be it Barry Goldwater or Ronald Reagan or George Bush. They did it to John McCain and Mitt Romney. They do it now. It's the war- worst form of politics and journalism and it goes on. In fact, asking about what you know, not and it, asking about what you know not to be true, it isn't actually the worst form of journalism, it's simply not journalism. Third, What's become clear to me is as the Democratic Party has moved further and further leftward, the media has traveled with Joe Biden. I don't mean physically. There's not very many places to go after all. I mean what I said yesterday. It's not that Joe Biden is a centrist on some kind of even or constant plane. It's that he's always been in the center of where the Democratic Party was. When the party was opposing busing and dragging its heels on civil rights and in the grip of a lot of segregationists in the 1970s, he was with them. When it moved toward a thwarting of anti-Soviet efforts to stymie the Reagan doctrine, he was with them. When it was the Dukakis and Liberal Party represented by organizations, including the National Organization for Women and the ACLU, He was with them when the Democratic Party was dragged to the center by Bill Clinton and Joe Lieberman and the Democratic Leadership Council in the early 90s. He was with them when it lurched back portside with Barack Obama. He was with them. And when the progressive project of grooming and growing an ever leftward movement in America fomenting the rise of your Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and Ilhan Omar's and Rashida Tlaib's and Nancy M. Pelosi embracing all that, he was with them. That's what the media moved with, too, for the media was always an institution of Democrats. We should not be surprised it has become an institution of far leftism now because that's where the Democrats are. That is where they are because that is who they are. If we're grooming students to go into public policy and they become your Talibes and Omars and Cortezes, why would you not have that same crop of students, indoctrinated as they are, filling jobs in the media and education institutions. This is how you get to a place where a journalism school fires a radio director, a student whose crime is citing to a New York Post article. Now note the cover-up of the Hunter Biden emails, also broken and reported by the New York Post. And like any self-respecting authoritarian movement, the story is disappeared uncomfortably akin to how truth-tellers and regimes from the Soviet Union to Iran to China today get and got disappeared. Forced disappearance has been defined as, quote, occurring when a person is secretly abducted or imprisoned by a state or political organization or by a third party with the authorization, support, or acquiescence of a state or political organization followed by a refusal to acknowledge the person's fate and whereabouts with the intent of placing the victim outside the protection of the law, close quote. Anti-Biden stories and reports and reporters are sent to metaphysical gulags, not to be heard about, not to be acknowledged, which gets me to the fourth amazement and surprise. In any other year before now, if you had a candidate running for president whose son was in the position of that Hunter Biden is in now, with the credible and public witnesses and sources you have around that story, the media would be camped outside Hunter Biden's home and continually asking the candidate about the story, perhaps almost as much as Donald Trump has been asked about white supremacy. If you want a story that's been debunked or fully debunked, and that has been used as a smear, the words Joe Biden uses about the story about his son, it's the story of Trump and white supremacy. If you want a story that has not been debunked and is in fact not a smear, it's the Joe and Hunter Biden story. Fifth, I'm not sure if the journalists are confident or engaged in information and thus voter suppression when it comes to the polls. But there is now a unanimity of polls that shows Joe Biden in the clear lead, according to the mainstream media, according to the mainstream media There's not a unanimity when you break it down. John Zogby, a Democratic pollster who in years past was everywhere, thinks the race is a two-point race. The Trafalgar polling group has Donald Trump winning. And just today, I read this over at National Review, quote, Jim Lee of Susquehanna Polling and Research echoed some of Trafalgar's points about shy Trump voters being missed by pollsters. He said, quote, there is a definitively submerged Trump vote asked for a prediction he hedged a little but then predicted a trump win quote i can't call it if the turnout is going to be what i think though trump wins it lee goes on pollsters may be deliberately overstating the strength of democratic candidates in order to dampen republican turnout he calls it the very definition of voter suppression this has been my point and i suppose we won't know for certain until next week, but most major polls do partner with major media organizations. Think ABC, NBC, CBS. Those are the polling firm's clients. And if it turns out Trafalgar was right, or Zogby was right, or Susquehanna was right, or any of us who have been speaking of the silent Trump voter, then yes. I do think the continual drumbeat that Donald Trump is massively unpopular and likely to lose is a narrative of voter suppression. Meant to create a theme and storyline, just as it has been been meant to keep calling Donald Trump a racist. Just as it has been in disappearing stories about Trump's successes, especially on foreign policy. Just as it has been pushing myths of nonviolent protests. Just as it has been blaming Donald Trump for the spread of a virus that no president has ever been blamed for when analogs came on their watch, as in 1957 or 1968. When you are told continually one product is the best, people are more apt to buy that product. Or at least that's the thinking and point. When you are routinely told one product is the worst, people are more apt not to buy that product. Which gets us to the really big question Are we strong enough, big enough, independent enough of a country or a people? To look at and listen to everything the culture throws at us in our education system, in our entertainment, in our professional athletics, in our corporations, in our news media. Are we strong enough, big enough, and independent enough to take all that, all those slings and arrows, if I can dust off my Hamlet, and by opposing, end them? That is the question. And it's the question of being, of saving this, the last best hope of Earth. Power we are classically taught, is the ability to be and make things be. In the contest between patriotism and culture, where is the true power in America today? We will know the answer to that question in a week or so. If patriotism yields to culture, we will face a thousand or more shocks, but that's the contest, patriotism versus culture. In a better day, this was not a question. Patriotism suffused the culture. They were one. That changed. The progressives knew all this, and so they went after what we took for granted. And you have something more. You have the task of trying to explain all of this, constantly pushing back, constantly correcting, in two major ways. Those who are the ardent believers, those who, in other words, want to radically transform America, those who listen to a Patrice Coulors and Alicia Garza and agree with them, And those who are there along for the ride, because it seems like a good ride. That second group, those along for the ride, they're not fully at fault. They blithely take in what the New York Times says, or what is given them as pedagogy in the schools, and assume it right, or true, or mainstream. We have to fight and push against both the first and the second groups, however. The ardent believers and those taken in by them, those along on the ride so to speak. There's a lot more to say about all this, but sticking with the theme of what the pa- of what the patriotism is that I'm talking about, it's twofold. The rejection of tyranny and the appreciation of freedom, what, re- what Ronald Reagan called an informed patriotism. So we enter the final week of this election somewhat agog. As Ronald Reagan put it in 1964, there's only an up or down, up to man's age old dream, the ultimate and in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. If you want to see the latter, look at Portland. Look at Philadelphia. Look at what was done to our social media accounts. Look at what is done on our campuses. If you want to see the former, look at those places that are not Portland or Philadelphia yet. If you want to see what the modern mindset can do, now consider how we all started what we started so nobly here in this country, in Philadelphia, and look at what it has become. Those are the stakes. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lepson Show. That's great voices. John and June Carter Cash. Johnny and, John and June Carter Cash. Welcome back to another great voice, that of Eric Trump. He is the executive vice president of the Trump Organization, a spokesman for Donald Trump's campaign. Eric, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey,
1: hey Seth. It's great to be back on.
0: We had your wife on yesterday. It's great to have you. How you all feeling? How you feeling a little less than a week out?
1: You know, so I left. Uh, I left Phoenix on uh, on, on, on Monday night, you know, two nights ago. And I, I mean, honestly, it, it's all over Arizona and the, the enthusiasm is off the charts. My father's there right now. You're probably watching the rally on TV, or you're hearing you clips bet. of it. I yeah. mean, all across all across the country, everywhere we go, I you know, I spent um, I spent yesterday in Nevada. I'm in um, I'm driving through Ohio as we speak, and everywhere we go, you wouldn't believe the love and enthusiasm. And um, you know, people love this country, Seth. They love our American flag. They love our Pledge of Allegiance. They love what our nation stands for. Um, they love law enforcement. They love our Constitution. Um, they love our country. And, um, and uh, you know, the radical left is just, they're exactly that, they're radical. I mean, they're, they're unrecognizable as a party now. And, uh, and uh, I think that's why my father has the enthusiasm he does.
0: I think so, too. The, those are the stakes. Everything you just outlined, Eric, there's a natural patriotism in this country and what's weird and I think different. For the first time in in my lifetime, is a a an elite culture that's pushing against that patriotism, that's challenging, and threatening that patriotism. They used to be united. They used to have been tied together. It's something entirely new. How far this left and how far its reach has gone into the Democratic Party and animated it. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, man. That they're attacking the family unit in this country. Yep. There's nothing more important than family in this country. They're attacking a the nuclear family in this country. They're attacking. Faith in this nation. I mean, the, the attacks on religion in this country are just unthinkable uh, by the, the radical left. They take out the words "under God" and the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, you saw them do that at the Democratic National Convention. Why? Why are they attacking faith? What does that? What does that get anybody? I mean, they want to increase taxes by four trillion dollars, which would bankrupt this this country for or programs that don't work. Um, they don't even know that. Why they want to increase taxes? They just do. They're Okay with people literally, you know, throwing bricks at law enforcement officers in Seattle and Portland. I mean, you have law enforcement officers that are having lasers shined in their eyes and permanently blinded and and then Biden comes out and says, No, 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 is not real. It's just uh, it's just an idea, it's just a philosophy. And then I mean, I mean it's it, it's unbelievable. You you literally you can't make it up. They want to get rid of hundred and eighty billion private health care plans in this country. They're more interested in Banning plastic straws and actually, you know, helping my father try and get infrastructure bills done or, you know, fix, uh, you know, criminal justice reform, which he did. Uh, I mean, it's really an amazing thing. And then you have my father, on the other hand, he wants the strongest economy in the world. He wants the lowest unemployment. He wants the best 401 K. He wants America to be wealthy. He wants the strongest military. Um, you know, he wants. To take care of our veterans, Um, he wants peace in the Middle East. He wants prosperity in the Middle East. We've had four Middle East peace deals done in four weeks now. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, He wants a safe southern border. Um, He wants, you know, you have the lowest amounts of human trafficking, lowest amounts of drugs coming across the southern border, lowest amounts of illegal immigration. I mean, I could go. I could go on and on. You yeah, yeah and you're right.
0: You're abso- but you're absolutely right. And these can be spoken impact. of in the past tense. These are accomplishments. It's as if they didn't happen merely because the C- uh, CNN and the New York Times won't report on them. But, you know, these were accomplishments that were going to be built on until, of course, the coronavirus. And I hear from the left, I'd love for you to respond to this because it drives me nuts. I hear from the left all the time that, well, it's the Republicans and the president who has politicized the coronavirus. That is such nonsense. When they blame your dad for 200,000 deaths, there's nothing more junk and political than that, I got to tell you.
1: Yeah, remember, remember Biden, I'll never forget this, you know, uh, Mr. Trump, by closing the borders, you're xenophobic. My, yeah. my father did it before the World Health Organization said it. And and by the way, like that day, they going on, on Regeneron and, and all these incredible therapeutics and, and vaccines and everything else. I mean, Biden still would have been down in his basement. Um, he, he, he wouldn't have even thought of a vaccine at this point. And we're leading the world in that charge. And You know, but it's, it's really interesting when you talk about the dichotomy between the two parties, I mean. You have Biden at the debate the other day that says, you know, it's gonna be a very dark winter. It's gonna be a dark winter. My yeah. father's looking at him. No, 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 it's not gonna be a dark winter, it's gonna be a beautiful winter. We, we live in the greatest country on earth. We 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 have the greatest flag. We have the greatest people. We're 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 the number one country in the world by every metric. It's not gonna be a dark winter, it's gonna be a beautiful winter, and we're gonna open up our country and people are gonna go back to work and people are gonna go back to church and people are gonna go back to their kids' little league games and They're going to go back to their hobbies, and they're going to go back to, you know, the things that they love to do. We're not going to have a dark winter. We're going to open up our country, and we're going to fight the China virus. You know, we weren't responsible for it. And believe me, my father will hold that country accountable for what they've done to not only our nation, but also the world. But you have this doom and gloom approach by the radical left. You know, it's going to be a dark winter. You know, my father is saying they're on the opposite hand side, saying, no. No, we live in the greatest country in the world. We should be very, very proud of it. We're going to fight through this. We're going to get through it. All the while, um, we're going to have the greatest economy and everything else. And, you know, the approaches just have never been more stark.
0: I think that's right. And you can't engage in radical transformation when things are are doing well. You have to have, right, you have to have dark and cold winter to engage or win it with with a campaign pledge of radical transformation. But you and your family and your father as president have, you know, testified in the recitation of accomplishments that you just went through, you testified that this is a can-do president, a can-do presidency. And I think that people are rising up spontaneously in so many places. Of course, today the campaign was here, but my gosh, several times a week we have these tremendous spontaneous uh, spontaneous gatherings for the for the president's reelection. election Be- He's a can-do president because it's a can-do country, and people want that. Yeah. They want that. Right. They do not want dark. They do not want cold. They do not want winter. They do not want us to become Portland. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Right, Eric?
1: Well, you know, you know Seth, I mean, the Patton said it well. The famous George Patton said it well. You know, Americans love a winter, and yep. they can't stand a loser. They yep. they they won't tolerate a loser. And yep. it's actually almost a perfect quote when it comes to this. I mean yep. but my father has one objective. That's winning. It's the same objective that Putin has, same objective that uh, you know, um, you know President Xi has, same objective as as, as, as most of these people the, the run that that one countries that don't have our best interests in mind, right? My father wants to win for this country. He wants America to be number one at everything we do longer apologize for the greatness of America, which is what Obama and Biden were doing for the last, you know, eight years before my father got in. I mean, they're going around the, the, the world on apology tours. They weren't respected for it. My father is yeah. the exact opposite. That's we are exactly. in the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest flag. We have the greatest military. We have the greatest economy. We have the greatest people by far, hands down. We have the best constitution. We have the best society. Um, we are the freest country on earth. It's what America stands for. And... Um,
0: you know, we're here it, to it, keep it, it, it. Yeah, we're here to keep it.
1: And, and, we're gonna, we're, and he wants to win, and that's all my father wants to do. And, and yep. I think that's why people gravitate toward him. And that's why they chant us. we love you, we love yep. you. When was yep. the last time they chanted, we love you, to a political candidate? I mean, it, it, this is a movement. This is a revival in this nation. It really is.
0: Um, Eric, you are great to come here. It's great talking to you, and thank your family for all they're doing for this country. No, thank you. Eric Trump, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 after the hour means it's time for our culture and economy update. John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. John, happy Wednesday. Hey, how's it going, Seth? I'm doing just fine. How are you, sir? Well,
2: rough day today for the market, that's for
0: yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, rough day. I want to come back to that in a second. Can I can I put that on on sure. hold for a second? Because I'm just thinking about rough days for some. It's it, it is a rough day. It's rough days for a lot of people. You know, given yep. what we've had to do uh, to uh, try and quote unquote flatten the curve and shutdowns and things like that. A lot of people lost their jobs before they were ready to retire, which is your area of expertise, John. Right. Um, it's not. The, I it, I don't mean it callously, but it doesn't mean it's the end of the road for their retirement, does it?
2: No. I mean, obviously, there are certain people maybe that have been uh, working towards retirement. Maybe they're in their mid-60s, and they thought, you know, I'm going to work those one or two extra years and just try to really solidify what, what I would like to do for my retirement. Right. Um, but unfortunately, we just got the announcement Boeing laying off another 7,000 people. Obviously, the airline industry has done the same, and some other industries have been – uh, doing what are called rifts, right? Those reductions in force. I know you hate when you do that, but I don't know how many people. I'll, I'll
0: excuse it once. Oh, okay, all once. right.
2: So the reduction in force that's occurring, and unfortunately, that's usually a buyout where maybe they'll pay them severance depending on how long they've been working there. But they forced that that person who's been with the company for 25 or 26 years, maybe out a year or two or three before they they were really planning on retiring. Right. So. That's when I think it's important to work with a professional, financial professional at that point to really help you balance the difference between risk and reward, especially once you've basically been forced into retirement a little early. That's kind of that little area. I think if you're 30 years old and you were let go from your job, most likely you're going to be getting another job here in the near future, and your life is going to go on, and you may find that it was the best thing that ever happened to you. it often
1: I tell people that a lot.
2: Yeah, so there's two different sides to this coin. But those those who are close to retirement, maybe they just wanted to work a little bit more, but they're unable to do that, Seth. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. And so I, I encourage people, pick up the phone, call me, let's talk about where you're at, how we can see how to actually balance, as I say, that risk versus reward to be able to get you into that comfortable retirement.
0: Good. That does kind of move or bleed us into the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, John, which is, yeah, okay, these are bad news. There is a series of bad news you can see, and you recited some of it, of course. But the economy isn't all bad news, and there is reason to give hope, particularly to those who may be looking at rifts or those who may be looking at the economy or the snapshot of the economy on a day like today and saying, right. my gosh, is there, is, is there room for growth here? Is there a future here? And the answer is, I think, Yes.
2: Uh, I believe so too, as well. Yes, I mean, as I said yesterday in our our comments yesterday was is that to really develop a plan that's good for you and stick to it and don't panic, we're gonna have these these ups and downs in the market. It was a sharp drop today, three four percent of the market value was lost today, but we had corporate earnings come out after the bell, Pinterest, right. Ford, and eBay all beating. What the expectations were. Pinterest, I think, was trading in after hours up almost 28 or 29%. There are some positives absolutely out there. GDP is
0: going to be through the roof in the next report, as I understand it. And
2: tomorrow we've got all the big FANG stocks reporting. Apple, uh, uh, Google, Facebook are reporting tomorrow. We're going to see how the economy is doing based on what the reportings are of those. Now, of course, there are those people, as I mentioned. They're out of work right now. They need help. They need assistance. Unfortunately, the political environment right now is really putting a lot of people in a bad situation. But overall, the economy, and is this the end of the U.S.? No, it is not the end of our freedom and our our free society here.
0: Or growth or economic Or growth or expansion. No, absolutely.
2: Corporations find a way to get through this.
0: Right, and this is really the most nervous making time one could have about a week before a massive election like we're and the
2: media so. doesn't help.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, they yeah. do not yeah so yeah. There's, there's panic porn in certain areas, and there's panic porn in the economy and the news reporting on that too John. I would
2: say this, Seth, for those yeah. out there who have already voted, they yeah. can turn the TV off. <laughs> it doesn't matter right start feeling better voted. turn
0: the tv off turn the radio on yeah turn the <laughs> exactly. radio on turn the tv off listen <laughs> nicely to nicely done nicely done jd thank you sir thank you very much all right much. securities and advisory services offered through
2: client one securities LLC, a member of finn recipient and an investment advisor grant Canyon planning associates lc and client one securities LLC are
0: not affiliated. thank you seth you betcha john dombrowski Bye-bye. thank you for everything 602 508 i'd love to hear from you we'll be right back Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 Interesting first-time guest coming up at the top of the next hour. Um, you may have heard of her. I doubt most of you have. I hadn't until about two days ago. Candy Mercer, or Candice Mercer, she wrote a piece over at Medium that was forwarded to me by uh, a listener, regular listener, sent it to me and said, It's a long piece, Seth, but well worth your time. This is a leftist as left as you can go with as leftist credentials as you can have. And the title of her piece is Why I Voted Trump, a coming out story. You're not going to want to miss this. That's Candy Mercer at the top of the next hour. I love her testimony. I love her honesty. Um, Okay, so this has been news, but maybe not news enough in certain respects. We now know who that anonymous administration official was dating back to 2018. You may recall there was an anonymous writer for the New York Times op-ed page, the the headline of the op-ed, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration, and they let this person submit the op-ed at the New York Times anonymously and uh, identified this person as a senior administration official. This person also got a book contract and wrote a book as anonymous. And today, I don't know why exactly he did this, but he decided to out himself. He decided to tell us who he was, and his name is Miles Taylor, the immediate joke going around is he was anonymous then, and he's an un- and he's anonymous still, even after we know his name. Although it's not quite fair to say that, because guess where he works? CNN. He left the administration to join CNN. What was he in the Trump administration that made him a senior administration official for The New York Times? And I'll tell you why in a moment for CNN as well. What? What was he? And by the way, when you're thinking about stories that merit credibility for publication and repetition and newsworthiness based on substantiation, which is all the rage right now, given the hunter Biden Joe Biden email scandal, right? All these mainstream media um, outlets are saying, "Well, we can't substantiate it. These are uns. How about, you know, giving an op-ed, never mind a book? to someone who claims to be a senior administration official that's vetted by the New York Times as a senior administration official and having them write as anonymous. Well, his job was at the end of the administration that he left in 2019. He was the chief of staff, the chief of staff to a cabinet secretary, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. Now, as soon as I learned that, I was asking friends who had had those positions in previous administrations if that's considered senior administration official. And I understand these titles aren't exactly official, but a chief of staff to a cabinet member, there may be possibly, in the reaches of our mind, only two we can think of. And I think it would be hard to come up with even those two as having been noteworthy chiefs of staffs to cabinet secretaries. Um, the two I'm thinking of, one was Colin Powell's uh, Larry Wilkerson, and one was when William Bennett was secretary of education his chief of staff. Less famous then, more famous now, and less conservative now, too, was Bill Kristol. But aside from that, can anyone think of a chief? Now, guess what? The joke's even worse because when he wrote that op-ed, he was not even chief of staff to the Secretary of Homeland Security. He was an assistant to the chief of staff of Homeland Security. Now, this passes a senior staff to the New York Times in the effort, obviously, to condemn or criticize Donald Trump, but on the record, non-anonymous sources with validated and verified emails, dates, and documents is too unverified for the New York Times and CNN. It gets worse. Chris Saliza, who is a a longtime Washington establishment political reporter, used to be at the Washington Post, is now at CNN, tweeted something uh, out in a series back when CNN was giving the story, from this anonymous source, who we now know to be Miles Taylor. And they were, and Chris Saliza, who was at CNN at the time, and still is, Chris Eliza was sending out a series of tweets defending the New York Times. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. In short, if some medieval bureaucrat, excuse me, in short, if some mid-level bureaucrat in the Trump administration comes to the New York Times asking to write a piece like this one without their name attached to it, the answer would be an immediate no. Contrary to what Trump says on his Twitter feed, media organizations are very wary of giving anyone and everyone anonymity to make attacks. Reporters push sources to put their names on quotes, or at a minimum to narrow the anonymous description to show as much of who these people are as possible to the reader. Media organizations, the credible ones at least, are hugely averse to letting people take pot shots without their names attached to it. Given all that, it's telling that the New York Times was willing to extend the cloak of anonymity to this author especially again because of the stakes and the target this is not a decision they made lightly that decision was made to publish it should tell you that it isn't some disgruntled mid to upper manager buried in the bureaucracy this is a genuine high-ranking official a name most people who follow politics and maybe some who don't would recognize the Times simply wouldn't do what it did for anything short of a major figure in Trump world. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I don't think Donald Trump would have recognized him if he stepped into the Oval Office. Honest to goodness, I don't think he would have. Miles Taylor. Now he works at CNN. And compounding all of this is earlier this year, he was on a segment with Anderson Cooper And for some reason or other, Anderson Cooper must have had something in his mind. But for some reason or other, Anderson Cooper asked him, asked Miles Taylor, as Miles Taylor, if he was the anonymous author. And Miles Taylor directly looked into the camera, looked at Anderson Cooper and said something like, I only wear masks for two occasions, Halloween and to prevent. And during a pandemic, the answer is no. He lied. He lied on CNN CNN. He lied to Anderson Cooper, and CNN is, guess what, guess what, retaining him. He still will have his job at CNN. This is so much the story of what the mainstream media is right now, taking anonymous people who would be anonymous even if their names were known, ratcheting them up as senior administration officials to condemn and criticize the president and then putting them and giving them jobs at places like CNN where they can lie to your very faces with no shame and maintain their jobs. This is CNN. This is the New York Times. This is the MSM. Let me put in a word for our newest of sponsors, Nationwide Coin and Bullion Reserve. You want something solid and reliable in a time clouded by question marks, you want gold. You want something as good as gold, you can get gold from Nationwide Coin. They provide excellent customer service, fast delivery, and the gold is delivered safe and secure right in your hands Nationwide Coin and Bullion Reserve has an exceptional offer for new customers. You can get a one-ounce Gold Eagle Coin at cost for just eighteen seventy-five. so much lower than everyone else. Weight and purity backed by the U.S. government. It's a great opportunity to safeguard your future with gold, so call Nationwide at 800-850-1155. That's 800-850-1155. And mention that you heard about them on my show, Nationwide Coin, 800 850 One one five five. Got a lot to do today. By the way, if you were at or are at one of the Trump rallies in Arizona, I want to hear from you as well. I've already been getting emails and texts from people who have been at the uh, who were at the first one. Love to hear from you and what you're seeing and what the mood and sense is from the second. And I want to again tell you, if you um, if you are interested in hearing a really different kind of voter, a really different kind of interview, Uh, We have one coming up with Candy Mercer. Candy Mercer uh, wrote a piece for the medium that one of you listeners sent to me called Why Voted for Trump, a coming out story. It's the first time she's voted for a Republican. Let me give you her background. She writes, I'm a progressive artist, writer, activist with an impressive 25 plus year record of fighting the good fight on a plethora of issues, including Oh, gosh, everything. You just think of the leftist uh, social uh, social justice campaigns, and she's on all of them. Uh, in this essay, the stunning and brave essay she writes in the Medium, she tells us why she voted for Donald Trump. Can't wait to have her on. She's in Olympia, Washington. The long and the short of it, and we'll have her fill in the, um, the middle part, but the long and the short of it is um, she took an honest accounting, did an honest accounting of what has caused the problems that she sees in the state of Washington, Washington state, um, who has the answers, and how dishonest the left has been, and how their policies have created the real crises in these cities. So don't go away, we'll be right back with Candy Mercer.